This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Inside the 5150 Studios, this is Knocking Doors Down, a podcast about sharing inspirational stories of those who have come from great adversity to live purposeful lives in the area of addiction and mental health. And we are here to end the stigma around those two things. I'm your host, Jason, alcoholic, had some depression and anxiety issues. My co-host, Uncle Mikey over there, he struggled with a little bit with that anxiety and depression. I wouldn't say a little bit. I'm riddled with that shit. <laughs> and so many people are. And our guest today, Brett Lovett, talks about how his journey in life brought him to doing the work he is now of reconnecting people, not only to themselves, but those in their community, be it their homes, their neighborhoods, or just within the environment of recovery through mental health or addiction issues. So really insightful stuff here with Brett Lovett. Brett Lovett, thanks for joining us on Knocking Doors Down. Good, sir. Hey, guys. Uh, Wow, what a privilege to be here. All I can say is thank you. No, our privilege is all ours. And uh, we're going to get into the amazing work you do with uh, reconnecting people. Uh, Here's where I want to start. I've been doing this uh, big book, AA study group, and uh, this stuck out to me last night. And I thought it was a cool thing to talk about. It starts, uh, the joy of living we really have, even under pressure and difficulty. I have seen hundreds of families set their feet in the path that really goes somewhere, have seen the most impossible domestic situations righted. Feuds and bitterness of all sorts wiped out. I've seen men come out of asylums and re- resume a virtual, uh, vital place in the lives of their families and communities. And when I read that, I was like, that's what you do. In that's essence. pretty well, that's pretty yeah. well uh, said right there. That's well read and well said, well articulated. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about the work that you are doing. I mean, we've we've we're talking about you know reconnecting families, and I and I know from our talks, you've you know it's been people that have had addiction and other things, and and like you're telling Mikey and I, you know, there's world leaders trying to solve world problems, and they're not really getting to the root of it all. Purpose, right? That's a great question. I appreciate the the platform that that, that you two offer through this show. And I hope we can convey, uh, I'm going to try to convey as much pertinent information here as I can. Um, and I don't mean to hog the conversation. So if I'm talking too much, you guys just stop because <laughs> I got, because I got plenty to say in, in this area, but let's start here. Yeah. When we look out at the, when family reconcile looks out at the world, that's what we see. We mm-hmm. see a lot of people running around trying to figure out what's, what's wrong. Uh, you know, why, why are things, you know, 
countries can't get along, right? And there's all this division and we see, do you not, and you correct me, or if you think that you see something different, you tell me. I mean, but you see division within our own area of living, right? People are divided more now than ever before. So isn't that interesting that we live in the most technologically advanced time in all of civilization, but we are ironically the most isolated society we've ever been. And it's because of that isolation, it's creating this disconnection. And when, and when people are disconnected, things really start to fall apart. And we believe that that is the root cause of, of the issues. Now, people may say, well, it's this issue or it's global warming or it's this, you know, this person is mean, or it could be, people may say a bunch of things, right? I was actually um, going to say COVID and politics is the most I've ever seen divided since I've been alive, at least this country. That's right. That's right. That would just in, be my in, opinion. I'm not saying that's what it is, but. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. It's certainly a factor. I mean, a, a, a massive contributing factor. So if we were, all, think about it like this, Mike, if we were already kind of down this disconnected road, mm-hmm. I mean, think of how much COVID has exacerbated that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so we, it, whatever these issues that we had prior, it, it's all been exacerbated. So, I mean, you, you can, you want to use a, a study, go back to Rome. So Rome is the only empire never conquered externally. Mm-hmm. She, she fell from within the family unit decayed moral decay of the family unit over 500 years slowly caused her to just basically implode from within. So we are well down as a society. We are well down that road all, all already. There's a famous Spanish philosopher named George Santillana. And he said, those that do not learn, and you'll recognize this quote, those who do not learn from society are doomed to repeat it. Right. And that's really what family reconcile is trying to do or, 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 you know, we're not just a little local, you know, operation. We are trying to, you know, internationally make a footprint here and get the, to get the understanding and the focus on what the real issue is, which is connection, loss of connection with each other. I couldn't agree more. The pandemic was, uh, has, especially on, those of us that struggle with mental health, Mike and I, both anxiety. Oh, yeah. Anxiety uh, riddled, baby. Elevated it. Um, I had bouts of depression uh, falling off. Uh, I know so many other people that have fell off their sobriety because of it. And it is because of that isolation. Like, I need my group. Thank goodness for this technology, how we're able to talk in different parts of the country because it brought back that ability to connect. You know, I can connect with my friend here in person, but I also need people in my circle that are in recovery to, to, to talk with and continue feeling that, that sense of purpose, you know what I'm saying? And I, I think so many people lost that during this, you know, the, 
the, the not being able to go to work, being of service there, the um, people struggling to bring income in. I know many of men and women that that really hurt them and they didn't feel that they were serving their family. And in losing that was a reason that they fell off, a very valid reason. And you mentioned the word, uh, you know, you mentioned the word purpose there. And this is something I've told the two of you, but maybe the listeners can, can appreciate this is when we lose connection, we lose purpose, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. And when we lose purpose, we slowly start to perish physically, slowly start to perish. So is that a, you know, is that a critical factor, you know, having that purpose that you talked about? Absolutely. Because if we don't fix that, now we're into, now we're into 35% more likelihood of, of perishing earlier the studies show. So this is critical to, to not just, not just to living longer, not just to, you know, having, having a, a you know, a few people around, or, or we're talking about why life exists. We exist to connect. So we're doing it here in, in, in we're appreciative, as you said, for this technology. Um, but we also have a lot to, to pay attention to, but if we pay attention more to this, to, to, to the connection part, then, then we have, then we have a, we're laying a foundation to make the improvements that we need to see. If you don't mind, I, you know, I was thinking about in, re, in relation to, to addiction or those who struggle with substance abuse or, or any kind of, uh, uh, of abuse. Think about this when, you know, people go in and out of the hospitals regularly when you're in the hospital, if you're being treated for something severe, you're getting the, you're getting the most potent, you're getting the highest form of whatever the, you know, let's say the, the, the opioid or the, the pain management, uh, you know, that they're, that they're providing somebody. So if addiction was just about, Hey, you know, a person takes the substance and now they're addicted. Well, then everybody coming out of the hospital would be a raging addict. Right. So it's obviously not just the application or the taking of a substance that creates addiction. Um, what what we what we're finding and what what's being shown is that it's 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 that addiction or whatever the substance is that's being abused is replacing a loss of something else, and that's the connection. So so addiction is is something that that yes is biological in a few areas, but it has more it has less to do with biological and more to do with with circumstance or this connection thing. So I just wanted to make that, make that clear that that's kind of where that's our mentality. That's how we think we're, this isn't about, Hey, we're going to fix this through, through, uh, you know, drugs or, or, or there's, Oh, well, it's just that your brain is, you know, is, is misfiring and, and you have a, you have a glitch in your brain. That's no, 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 you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. It's that those are signals, depression, anxiety, um, uh, you know, looking for, for things to, to, to deal with these inner feelings, those are signals. That's not something wrong with you. And that's one of the fundamental things we, we try to lay right out front with our mentoring program in Family Reconciled. You're not, you're not a glitch. You're, you're somebody, those are signals and we need to address them and they likely are found within connection. So then we start looking at family relationships. We start looking at what may have caused them to look into a substance to cover over a loss of connection somewhere else. Yeah. I, there was a really good saying that was dropped on me a little bit ago was uh, those without purpose seek pleasure. 
And so I, and, and I could relate to that and in, in going it, like, I didn't want to feel this. So, you know, I wanted to feel some pleasure to take that, that pain away. Now, with that said, how much within your work uh, with family reconciliation, are you seeing trauma backgrounds with a lot of these people and how that's caused a lot of that divide or isolation and self-isolation? That's a great question, Jason. I, just off the top of my head, I'd probably say at least half. It's probably more, mm. um, but uh, it's probably more, maybe closer to 60 to 70% trauma because trauma is a broad word, right? So sure. something could have happened to you or you experienced that was traumatic. Maybe I, maybe I experience it. It's not as traumatic, so I don't qualify as traumatic, right? So, so there's, a little, there's a little bit of a gray area with trauma, but um, uh, it's, it's at least half, if not more. And it is a, it is an important part that plays into how people make decisions. Most of us make, and again, this is, you know, we're going into to research areas here, but most of us make decisions today based on our past. You agree with that? Most of us make decisions today based on our past experience. Family Reconciles mentoring model is really a transformation of that mindset to make decisions based on your future self. So we're, we want you to get making decisions based on your future self, not on your past. And when we can do that and lay the groundwork for that, which we do through our, our six-month model there, now you see that transformation start to take place. And in addition to that, we're also looking at, at, our, at connection. You know, how are we, can, how are we with ourselves first? You got to connect with yourself first. <laughs> and then from there, you move out to your family. From there, you move out to society. And I bet that you're, um, anyone with addiction that you've been working with, the last thing they want to do is connect with themselves because they have to then dig down to all those That's things right. underneath. And why am I using? That's right. Fear. So on a spectrum, there's a spectrum that we use sometimes, and it relates to what I just said about most of us making decisions on, uh, based on our past. So that's actually a, a study where 85%, so eight to nine out of every 10 people make decisions on a spectrum somewhere their whole life, every day, somewhere between anger and fear. Hmm. 85% of us make decisions based every day, somewhere between there. And, and what we try to do is help people to see that through a transformational process, you can get onto the other side of fear. And what's on the other side of fear, gentlemen? Joy, contentment, gratitude. So you can get there. And I think most of us, I think there isn't a person, probably isn't a person alive that wouldn't say, well, that, I want joy. I want contentment. I want gratitude. But getting there is an entirely different thing, right? And so most people say it, but they're not committed to that because of what you were saying, Jason, because they may be hiding from things internally. And, right. and so that you see how that fear, they're, they're afraid to confront things in themselves. So that fear keeps them stuck making decisions today based on their past. What is the work you, that, that you folks are doing with people in that area as far as, as coming to those, A, we got to admit it and come to that realization. And what's the process once they're willing to commit to that process of, of confronting these fears? Good question. So maybe I can talk a little bit about the process because most of it usually Please. comes down to 
to two things when people are asking, okay, what does family reconcile really, you know, what do they really do? So, you know, maybe we can start with what's the end result that we're looking, you know, that we, that we seek to achieve. And then I'll give you the process by which we do that. Is, is that okay? Okay. So the, the end result, the end result is a more confident, self-sufficient person who lives each day with specific intention. And that's a key, that's a fundamental part of the transformation is living each day with specific intention. And when you do that, when you live each day with specific intention, you take more control over your decisions and in the outcomes, you're in control of your outcomes. It's not somebody else or something else controlling those daily decisions. So that specific intention in a person living with that each day is the, is the end result. How do, we, how do we achieve that with somebody? Well, we do that through our six-month mentoring model, and we break that down into three phases. The first phase is an empathic assessment. So we assess the individual or the family, because we'll, we'll work with an individual, we'll work with an entire family. Um, so the empathic assessment is an assessment of what are the life conditions. We're not just talking about the physical conditions, although the, that is a factor. We're talking about the overall uh, life conditions. You know, how do they make decisions? You know, how do that, what is their decision-making process? So we, we try to get inside there to see, you know, what, what, how they go about making decisions. And we start putting, you know, what we call an avatar together. It's, it's their, it's who they are, whether they know it or not. We know how to do that. We know how to do that through certain questionings, you know, draw out certain things. So it's the empathic assessment. That's phase one. Once, once we do that and we say empathic and, and not simple, sympathetic or, or not just assessment. An empathic assessment is not there to judge or to say, well, well, I agree with that or I don't agree. It has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with information in, in saying, wow, okay. So, so we see that, we understand that. So you're rephrasing and you're repeating and you're helping the individual to understand that you're hearing them. That's what they need to be. I mean, a big part of fear is what if I say this and what's the reaction going to be? So so that empathic assessment, just to highlight that, is that's the reason why we keep that word in there, because it's, it's just there to listen and to understand on our part. Phase two is where, the, is where the real groundwork is laid for the transformation, for the intentional thinking. And that is, we do that primarily through technique. Our main technique is through journaling. Through intent, we're not just talking about randomly writing things. You know, we're not talking about your sister's diary. We're not talking. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about specific daily intentional writing, where we set intentions or goals, if you want to call them that. At least one, no more than three, and we do this in. And so, what we're doing is we're creating behaviors. We're overriding of a previous program of behavior, right? That got them into trouble with their decisions. We're overriding that program with, in, with intentional behaviors. And when those intentional behaviors over six months become routine for them, you now have a habit. So you've taught behavior that is now transitioned into habit. That's where the transformation takes place. That's phase two. The last phase is phase three. It's our integration into really what makes Family Reconcile unique, which is we are building a community, not just a community, but a society a society of, uh, of individuals who are connected. So when you, when you come out of them and you, you interact with others 
during the six months, primarily virtually, but it can be in person, but it's primarily virtually. We use a software, uh, a really uh, a wonderful software, almost tailor-made for us called Circle. And Circle is a community building platform. And we use that for, for, for our community, our private community. So as people slowly integrate, you know, three, four months into the mentoring, they slowly integrate into this community uh, supportive environment and they and they begin to engage with people, maybe have conversations. Maybe they're starting to what we call build a tribe. So these people are interacting in a way they weren't interacting four months before when they were isolated and, and, and afraid. And, and, and so now they've been, we've laid this groundwork. We have some new behaviors there. These behaviors are becoming habits. And so now there's a little of confidence. And so now I, well, let me, let me reach out and tell Jason that I appreciated what he said when he made this comment in this forum. And so we, we create this uh, arena for engagement and, and support. And, and it's all about, and I'm going to come to this and I'm going to wrap this up and you can ask some questions. It's all about, <laughs> it's all about association. Okay. It's all about people are trying to, what's the, how do we cure this? And how do we do how do we change that? And I'll tell you how it is. It's through association. Jim Rohn said, we are the average sum of the three, four, five people we spend the most time with. Hmm. You're not the peak of them. Euphoia, a Greek word meaning having beautiful thoughts and a well-balanced mind. A balanced mind and body bring inner strength and self-confidence to power your best self. Euvoia Wellness, spelled E-U-V-O-I-A Wellness, is created to help you be your best self. All of our products are made using full-spectrum CBD, meaning we use all the therapeutic parts of the hemp plant. If you have areas of discomfort or pain, our CBD relief roll-on is perfect for getting deep into your sore joints and muscles. A good night's sleep is vital to good health. Our sleep oil gives you better REM sleep and more refreshed mornings, while our regular full-spectrum oils are truly the liquid gold you need for your daily routine, making your days more focused and less stressful. Go to Uvoya Wellness, E-U-V-O-I-A wellness.com and find the natural solution for your wellness needs. That's E-U-V-O-I-A wellness.com and use promo code wellness at checkout for 15% off your purchase. You're the average sum of the three. So if you're dealing with, if you're dealing with some sort of substance abuse, let's say, just as an example, this applies to everybody in relationships. It doesn't have to just be substance abuse, but if you're dealing with substance abuse and the people that you are associating with are dealing with that. You're not the peak of, the, of that group. You're the average sum of that group. So if you are going to change, yes, there may be some biological things that we need to address. There may be, but it's, it's generally about behaviors, becoming new behaviors, in, in association. And if you can elevate your association to a hundred times who you are, you will become the average sum of that association. So that's what family reconciles building. So it's not just, Hey, here, here, here's the mentoring models for your own personal transformation. Now, once you're there, look at this community of associates you have. And we have some pretty profound people in there. We have people that come in and give TEDx type talks because of our journalistic connections. We have some real thought leaders that'll come in once a month and give a TEDx, you know, esque like just to our community. 
it's an empowerment thing. So they're already, you know, they've transformed. They're they're into it. They're they're this is this is, you know, my life has changed. And now they're associating with people they would have never probably associated with before. And that's the beauty. So it's those three phases. So this isn't work. This isn't, hey, here's here's this mentoring model and you need to add it to your list, right? And but we're gonna no, 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 no. This the mentoring model is meant to alleviate unnecessary work. It's meant to give you, it's meant to alleviate those things. One uh, gentleman, well-known gentleman said he became the success that he became overall when he realized the difference between what's important, what's urgent. Mm. And he goes, when I was able to clear, when I was able to see that what's important is not always what's urgent, that's what really opened up. And that's what, that's what we're, what we're doing. You may think this is urgent and maybe it is urgent. Doesn't guarantee that it's important. So we're going to get you to focus on the important things. The urgent things may or may not fit into that, but it's, it's a freeing, not a, not an additional thing. It's a, it's a freeing and, and we just seeing phenomenal results. So I'm going to not talk anymore <laughs> that we're seeing phenomenal results. So that's the proof to us. That's the proof to us. Absolutely. I'm just trying to think of who am I the average sum of? Who do I hang, who do I hang out with? <laughs> <laughs> Me and your dog. I know, right? My dog, yeah. uh, brother-in-law. Nah, you, well, you have an amazing family unit. But um, what you said there, one of the things that there's two things that stuck out to me. I want to start first with the importance of mentorship. It's much like with me working the program or anyone else with AA. That's what the sponsor is. Or, you know, they're going to the group, that connection. So what's the, what are you seeing as far as the importance of a, of a mentor? And my second part of that is, are, is there any ever pushback? I know for me, when it's, I, I'm still going through the process of accepting a, a compliment or that something I did help somebody and was just a service. I'm very much still in that. Okay. What do you want from me? Kind of thing. So, okay. Great question. Thank you for, first of all, thank you for asking that. I go into a little bit of this and I try not to touch on people's toes, but if you go and you look at, you know, you hear the word coach, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's coaching everywhere, uh, executive coach and life coach and personal coach and coach this and coach that. But how often do you hear the term mentor? You Mm -hmm. may hear it occasionally, but you do not hear it saturated like, like the term coaches. So there's, and so one of the things you know, that, that always intrigued me, you know, when we were putting the, the model together, you know, people go, Oh, see, so you're a coach. And I go, what? No, no. See, coaching's directive. Coaching is okay. Do this and go over there. And when you do that, this is what's going to happen. So you have somebody directing you. And, and, and when you have a coaching structure, you also have a power structure. You have the coach and then you have who's being coached. Okay. The fundamental difference between coaching, there's, there's a few differences, but the fundamental difference to me between coaching and mentoring, and the reason why mentoring is superior, especially for what we do, is because we alleviate that power structure. So when you have a mentor, you don't necessarily have that power structure in place because you're doing things together. It's not directed. It's not go over there and do this. It's, hey, let's pick this up. And let's go over there together and then let's see what happens. And then we'll figure out what to do together. So you're right here side by side. It's not the directive. It's not a directive thing. Here's in our experience. And this is why, and I'm not knocking coaches and I'm not knocking therapists and I'm not knocking psychologists. Okay. When you go to see somebody, cause you're trying to seek mental, you know, you're trying to get some mental health support. 
and there's wonderful psychologists and therapists out there. But, but tell me if this isn't true. When you go, you talk, they listen, they give you, they give you things to think about, perhaps even things to try and do. And then what happens when the session's over, you go out the door and you are left to apply those things. You are left on your own to apply those things until the next session. In mentoring, you're not left to apply anything. You're doing it with the individual. You are there walking hand in hand with whatever that directive is. So I'm listening to you, Jason, or I'm listening to Mikey, and I say, okay, have you ever thought about this? Hmm, that's interesting. Maybe we should do this. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. And then you don't walk out the door. You and I go and do it together. Okay, so most people learn not because they've been told what to do. They learn because they were shown how to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and now some therapists and psychologists will show you in a particular session how to do something, but they won't show you over a sustained period of time how to do something. That's the fundamental difference between mentoring and coaching. The fundamental difference between a therapist and a psychologist in our model. We understand that if we're going to affect the transformation to a new mindset, in a new behavior, in new habits. We have to do it together over at least six months. That's where the transformation occurs. But uh, the other thing that stood out to me was where you're talking about, um, you know, someone maybe within the community, giving another person some, some praise. Um, have you had any people that, that maybe because of, of trauma, that there is a pushback to some of that stuff, that they're still maybe in a mindset of what does this person want from me? I, because, and this is an assumption, I'm going to guess you're dealing oftentimes with people that are living almost in a constant state of fight or flight mode. So again, great question. That is why the integration phase is the last phase. Hmm. That's, why, that's why we don't integrate straight up front. That's why the, the, the one-on-one mentoring work is, is in the groundwork, in the connection with yourself that we work on, the reconnecting with yourself, even just finding yourself, <laughs> okay? That's why that's first. And then even the second phase is still really the one-on-one or one-to-family work. Let me give you an example. So we had, we had an, we, there, there's an individual... Um, great therapist. Uh, so he would, you know, he was prescribing, um, uh, I forgot the, forgot the particular drug he was describing, prescribing. He, he had this, this woman, great lady. Okay. So here's what happens in many cases. She's dealing with these internal issues and she doesn't know quite how to deal with them. So he preside, he provides the, the medication to, to help her with that. And she, she feels better for a little while. Right. And then she starts to feel not so good again. And so he ups the dosage, right? And she feels better for a little while. And then she doesn't feel so good again. And then he prescribes the maximum amount by law and she starts to feel better again. But then she gets to that place where it's not really working. Now, where do you go, right? So here's one thing that he decided to do. He, he, said, he had this like area in the back of his office, that back area, and it was just shrubbery. I mean, there's nothing there. You know, it was like a little retaining wall and there was just dirt and tumbleweeds. So he says, let me do something. I'll continue to prescribe the, the, the medication you know, to you. But I've got five or six other patients. And on Wednesday, we're going to come out here and we're just going to take these tumbleweeds and throw them in the, you know, just kind of take the shrubbery and 
not even do anything, not even beautify, just take the shrubbery out and, and, and put it, uh, you know, put it in this trash can out here. She, would you come for that? She says, yeah, I'll come for that. So he invited seven, five showed up. Okay. And they just cleaned up the shrubbery. He says, okay, now, you know, next week, Hey, since we're doing this next week, you know, who, who wants to plant? I'd like to plant some flowers here. I'll even go get the flowers. Who wants to come, you know, come in next week. So the next Wednesday afternoon, all seven of the original ones that he invited were there. And so they were doing some tilling and, and he's observing this whole time. And everybody was kind of working independent, you know, maybe a, a little, you know, sentence or word to one person or whatever. After about four or five weeks, they were meeting every Wednesday and doing this. They had, they had essentially planted a garden and about four weeks into it, he saw them starting to form into little groups like two or three were standing around holding, you know, sitting like almost like Caltrans, right? Just sitting on a shovel, not doing anything, you know, holding the shovel up. But they were, and he observed this, that they were, they were starting to talk. Six, you know, four or five weeks into this, they weren't talking to anybody. They were barely talking when they first started. Now, four weeks just into meeting every Wednesday and just plant, just cleaning up some shrubbery and planting some flowers, they were starting to form their little tribes, their little groups. They were connecting. They were connecting. And one of the ladies after about three months, and they just continued to do this. One of the ladies after about three months says, you know what? I guess when we were planting this garden, the garden started to bloom. They were like, we didn't realize it was really, it was really us who were starting to bloom. How's, you know, so what I, you know, when I'm telling you, I mean, I get, I get I'm assuming they were that story. financially uh, compensated for planting his garden. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's a good question. I'll have to follow up with that. I'm not sure because that could be slave labor. You're right. <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds like a, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And, and, the, other, and the other thing is the, the woman, this particular woman in that group, by the end of, you know, I mean, it was about four or five months later. Sure. She had, she had reduced back the dosage to a point where she no longer, no longer was even taking that medication. And I think right there, it hits back again, that, that purpose. She, she, at least on that day at that time within this group for this goal, she was serving of a purpose. So yeah, that's right. She, she, she found you know, that purpose was there. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? I mean, you have the, all these fears and everything that you create in your mind, keeping you from, from doing some. So for us, right, perhaps, and I'm speaking for all of us, maybe I shouldn't do that for us. That's such a simple concept, sure. you know, but, but for others who are dealing with internal issues and who, trauma and, in. And you're, you know, you can't see the woods through the trees, right? When you, you, all of those phrases exist for, for, for the reason of understanding that when you're in it, it's often hard to see the way out. And that's, so how valuable is a mentor? How valuable is somebody who's not just going to come and say, hey, go over there. You make a left at that tree and a right at the next tree, and then you'll find your way out of the forest. Right. How, do you want that? Or do you want, do, would you want Mikey to come along and say, I'll show you the way out, you know? grab my shoulder, hold on to me and we'll walk out of here together because I know the way. Man. So w- which one would you take? I know which one I would take. Oh yeah. Plan B for sure. The second option. And I, and I see it with people, you know, first timers to groups, you know, their perception is I've heard everything. 
uh, it's a cult. Uh, you're going to indoctrinate me in some religion or whatever it is. And like you said, all of the things we can build up in our mind and it's been anything, but, and some people, you know, they get their sobriety or, you know, recover mental health wise and they don't need one. And that's fine. Cause there's, you know, different paths to it, but you know, it, it, I find it imperative. And for me, mentorship has meant everything. So, you know, and that's so well said, and I can only, you know, I mean, I can only add to that, that, that that's, you know, that is the core. And again, I go back to that's the core. We believe that's the answer. And, and not only do we believe that the results are proving to us, that's the answer. Yeah. It's, it's reconnecting, it's reconnecting with yourself and then reconnecting with others. And as soon as you have that, I mean, we're not talking about major fundamental lifelong connections. We're talking about just the ability to stand around and have a conversation because you were planting flowers and connecting at that level can literally pull you out, can literally pull you out of what you were relying on earlier just to live day by day. So, so, you know, we, you know, and I don't mean this in a brash way. I'm just saying, don't try to tell us that it's something else other than connection. We already know that that's what it is. So that's why we exist. We said, we need to why is nobody talking about this? Why is nobody doing this? And that's where we kind of created the model to also fit really aftercare. So we got people coming out of treatment. And um, I mean, I even saw this on Dr. Phil like a year ago. Dr. Phil was dealing with somebody who was coming at this little girl that was coming out of some cocaine. He was trying to get her help because her mother and sister were trying to get her help. And he says the most critical juncture in a person's recovery is the day that they lead a successful treatment program. Because most of the, most of the relapse happens between the first, between day one and, the, and six months after they come out of the treatment center. Mm-hmm. He says, for one reason, structure. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's that, that's the need. And there's nothing there. They say, oh, you can go join a church group or, or go find a hot. There's nothing there. That's where, that is the niche we come right into. We are that structure. So it's not just the successful completion of breaking a habit gentlemen, it's the formation and the transformation of establishing new behaviors that become new habits that get you thinking, making decisions today based on who Jason wants to be in the future, based on who Mikey wants to be in the future, based on who Brett wants to be in the future. You know, I've never, I've never personally dealt with addiction to substances, but I've been addicted to people pleasing. Oh yeah. And I've, and I've had, I've had, I've had trauma because my, my, my poor judgment because of how I was, how I was behaving because I was, you know, swayed in, in this, in this way created trauma. I had to come through, I had to come through an Everest, Everest type personal difficulty, you know, five years ago. Hmm. And I just thought, why do we do this to one another? Why, why do we, you know, you look at the world and everybody's just, everybody attacks. No wonder nobody wants to take any accountability because if I take accountability, I'm going to get smashed. Yeah. So, you know, what happened to compassion and what happened to empathy and what happened to, to connection? Because I'll tell you what, if you want joy and you want gratitude and you want contentment in your life, you're not going to get it on your own and you're not going to get it attacking other people and disconnecting from people. You're going to get it through meaningful connection. That's the road there. And I couldn't agree more. And, and it, I'm glad you brought up your own individual struggles. Cause I really wanted to ask with your passion and fire for this, why are you doing what you're doing? 
if family, re- I can tell you this family reconciled. If I was to create a single avatar, the avatar is me. Hmm. And in, in, in that avatar is the trauma. I, 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 I didn't have too much trauma. You know, I didn't, my parents, I had really good parents. Yeah. Um, they, they did really good. I didn't have, I lived a, you know, what you probably call a boring life, right? I didn't have anything out of, I was a good kid and didn't, you know, didn't get in trouble a lot, but my parents divorced when I was about 20 and I was the oldest of three siblings. And, uh, I don't think I really recognized how, I don't think I recognized how hard, I don't think I reckon, I know I didn't recognize how that impacted me decision wise, right? Because these, this dynamic change and I had many things going really well, but I, I didn't realize until later years, I, I made some pretty poor decisions. And I think those poor decisions were largely because I just was making those decisions by myself with my own lousy thinking on things that I didn't realize was lousy. So, you know, I had that. And then it doesn't matter what your intentions are. I had the best of intentions. So I do this thing with the best of intentions and it blows up in my face. And and then you take the element that I was talking about earlier where people, they don't have, there's no empathy or compassion there. They just label you. Oh, you're this. Yep. Okay. Well, for a person with my disposition, who's heart centered and who's, who's doing things, laying his heart out there, taking risk is getting pummeled by people who don't take any risk. And, but you know, how do you, it took me years to figure that out. It took me years to figure that out. So family, so this mentoring model is, is really based on all of that trauma that I experienced and then saying, what needs to be done here? Because if nobody else is going to do it, then, then I need to do it. And that's where that, that empathic, uh, connective, you know, and it starts with this. If, if people have had whatever with me, I don't hate anybody. I don't dislike, I, I don't, if somebody who, you know, thrashed me before came to me and says, here, this year, I'd be like, no, you know, I'm not that. Um, but you know, can we, you know, let's talk about it. Right. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the foundation right there. I said, I have to live. What I did is this. I said, I have to live opposite of what somebody may say that I am. I can't fight it. I can't argue it. I have to live opposite of what that is. That'll be the answer, right? That's the answer to whatever the complaint is from somebody. So when I started understanding that, it gave me more control over my actions and it helped me to kind of back off from, from, you know, having to appear a certain way to somebody who may think that I'm something else. Right. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's some pretty severe trauma. And, and, and I take full responsibility for poor decisions I made, uh, you know, doing this. So, but it's like, okay, well now what do I do? Do I just go in a corner and die <laughs> or, do I, or, or do I, or, or do I try to help myself, but then, help others because I saw a need here. We need to, we need to care for one another a lot more than what we do. We need to connect and I'm going to be a leader in that. And that's where family reconcile came from. Wow. I love it. What uh, type of, what, what's the spectrum of folks that, you, that you've worked with? I know before we started recording, you were talking about, um, you know, some of the methods that, that are utilized in prison and, and things like that, as it relates to connectivity, but what spectrum of, of people are you getting family situations and just individuals? Yeah. So it's broad. The, the spectrum is broad. I mean, we've worked with, with late teens, 
late teens all the way to 75, 80-year-old parents who, who are nearing, um, you know, the probably what they're thinking is the end of their life and sure. this, this disconnection from, from, a, from a child is literally killing them. And we get a lot of, you know, we get a lot of, we get a lot of uh, parents and children that don't get, a, that don't get along, but then the, the, the children use their children, which are the grandchildren as a tool. And, and we're seeing grandparents just, just, okay, if you, my son or daughter doesn't want to deal with me, but don't, don't take my grandchild away. I mean, just real heart wrenching. We're getting, so we get, we get this whole spec. We get people coming that are just, you know, or, or we're being introduced to people that are just dealing with dysfunction and family and coming out of addiction. I mean, the whole, the whole broad range that you can imagine is, is, is what we've seen thus far. And we're new. We're only a couple of years in this model of doing this. And we've already seen that kind of broad, it, there is no, oh, this is the main thing that it is, or, or it's the, I mean, it's just all kinds of, of scenarios, but there is, let me give you the research on this. Please. The one group that deals with estrangement and dysfunction and disconnection the most, the most of all the groups is the wealthy, huh. the wealthy class. And the studies gave two specific reasons for this. I think this was at an Oxfam study conducted by Oxfam. Um, the two specific reasons are that the wealthy are generally higher educated. Okay. They're, they're, they, they have multiple, their education is on the higher side. And with that comes quote unquote, the enlightenment. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying quote unquote comes, Hey, I'm more educated. Hey, you didn't deal with me, right? Hey, you know, there are things that, and so that, that enlightenment that comes from higher education uh, affects that class and they start now making decisions about their relationships that those in lower educational, um, um, you know, uh, roadmaps may not, may not necessarily take. That was the one. The second reason was a, um, was a, um, they fall back on the wealth. So the wealth gives them a false and, and understand this. I hope the listeners understand this. It, the wealth gives them a false sense of security. So it's not security. Wealth doesn't give you security in that sense. It's a false sense of security. So they fell back on that. So the wealthy, they found between the education and the money were quick to make decisions to get rid of relationships that they didn't see as valuable that other classes did not do or, or did not do as quickly. So the wealthy are the ones who suffer from this the most by class, by distinction. So what we did is we looked at, we said, okay, look, we have to do something. We, we, and we can't always encapsulate everybody. So we have to create a model that allows us to get the best results. You get the best results from those who are most committed. So generally, generally the model was really created for those in that class because uh, you, know, it, it, you have to be committed. And we give the example of people that do, uh, you know, resolutions at the beginning of the year. They, they say, I want to read more books or I want to spend more time with family or I want to lose weight or I want to get more. And then they start out in a week or two weeks, three weeks, four weeks into it. They kind of revert back to those old patterns. Most imagine, imagine if you set out on, on, a, on, on those resolutions, but you had somebody alongside you the success rate for achievement goes dramatically up to the roof when you have somebody working alongside you on these resolutions. So you have to commit. 
You can't put a value on relationships. Okay, any financial commitment in, in, that somebody makes to enter the family reconcile model, mentoring model, is that's the that's the that's their value commitment. They're committing to that's the process. That's the that's the value of the commitment to the process. That's not the value of the relationship. That's not the value of the end result, because the end result is priceless. If you can transform yourself and, and live and be the person that you want to be in the future, making decisions today based on who that person is in the future, that's a priceless transformation. You don't put value on that. So, you know, just to, you know, people can get all that information on our website and whatnot too, but that's, that's really what it is in, in, you know, in terms of, we really help people to say, okay, I know you say what you want, but let's talk about commitment because that's the difference on whether or not you'll achieve it or not. Well, I'm seeing that not only in my life with, um, of course, parenthood, um, my sobriety, my relationship or everything else, but just with that of what brings me purpose, where I feel I'm of service and where I am of, of purpose to, you know, whether it's ego inflated or just reality or the feedback that we get like, hey, thanks for that episode. That was great. Made me think differently about myself. So, you know, I understand what you mean by commitment and, and we're kind of in a society don't like it, doesn't feel good. We can just jump over here. Yeah, that's, that's right. And so for the listener base, really hone in on this. It is all, of, it is mainly about the association. Yes, there's a model here that we lay for transformation and mindset with creating new behaviors to become habits, right? I've said that 10 times and I think everybody gets that. But the real, the real kicker for it, the thing that really creates it is the association. It's, 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 the, it's, it's, it's that elevation of the people that you're spending time with. That's, that's it. So it's not work. We're not adding something to you. You're coming into a society or a family where you can do a little bit of self-observation in your own, you know, a little bit of self-work in your own way with somebody who's empathic with you. And then once you're ready, we introduce you into this society and this community. And boy, that, that is, that is where, that's where you see that transformation really physically. You see, you see it because it's the association that is the secret. That is the key. It is the association of the society or the group. That's what we offer. And that, again, has no value because, you know, blood doesn't, blood makes you related guys, but loyalty makes you family. I heard that. Uh, If people want to know more about what you're doing, Brett, where can they uh, get any information? So, you know, we have our, the, our main source of, of information other than doing programs like this is, is our website, which is uh, www.familyreconcile.com. Uh, you know, we have, we put as much, maybe we can put endless information up there. We put as much information up there as we can to help somebody recognize, hey, is this the right thing for me? I think there's enough information for that. So we have, you know, we have our blog, we have some, some success stories that people can read about or where they see how we've worked with somebody. Um, we have podcast, you know, we have our own little podcast up there where we talk about certain qualities that are needed to connect with others. So we have plenty of information up there. Uh, there's a webinar up there where they can see how we go through the, 
you know, kind of what our philosophy is behind what we're doing. All of that is meant to do one thing, to really just get somebody to say, I need to look into this more. And so they can schedule something on the calendar, you know, aspect that we have, the calendar within the app. Because the main thing is just, I want to talk, schedule a call and let's talk so I can see, you know, whether this is, is the right thing for you or, or maybe I can, you know, direct you somewhere else. So that's how individuals can find us. If they're individually thinking about doing this, obviously we have certain treatment centers we're already working with and we come in in that, that last week of aftercare, they kind of introduce us into that. That's where we get introduced. Like, okay, you're leaving. Now what's the plan? Well, here's a plan. Here's six more months of something, you know, is this right for you? So that's how we work it in that realm. Um, and then, you know, obviously for any of the listeners, you, know, you don't have to be, you don't have to have come out of treatment. You don't even have to be in treatment. You don't have to be anything. You can just be somebody who's saying, look, I, I need to work on connection. I need to transform. I need to make decisions based on my future self, not on my past. And I don't even know who my future self is. That person should call. So it's, it's anybody who's thinking about anything. We just encourage them to call and through discussion, through dialogue, we can figure out, you know, a path. And if we can't help, boy, we'll, we'll certainly give you some suggestions. Even if you don't, even if you don't work with us, we're going to give you suggestions on where you can go and where you can look and what you can, you know, what you can do to achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Well, I think it's a big part of, uh, Letting go of the fear of the future because uh, it hadn't been written yet, but we can embrace a path to head us in a direction we want to go. Right. So how can you, you can't really transform, right? If you're spending too much time in the past, transformation is all about now and into the future. Does the past play a part? Yeah, because it gives us a reference point, but we only, we only use the past for reference. Sure. Most, most of our thought patterns are going to be on today and, in, you know, and on tomorrow, you know, McCon- Matthew McConaughey has this real neat thing that he does. He talks about it, that he's, he's his future hero. Somebody asked him about his hero, who his hero was. And Matthew said, I'm my own hero in the future. And he goes, I'm my, I'm my hero in five years. And I, and I was like, that's it. McConaughey, McConaughey gets it. That's what we're dealing with. And so that person who interviewed him on that particular interview, five years went by, interviewed him again and said, so did you get there? So are, are you your, you know, you, you made it to your, to, your, to your hero. And he goes, he goes, no, my hero's myself five years from now. He pushed it out another five. And he goes, meaning he'll never get there. He's because he's always, he's always searching. He's always working, not searching. He's always working towards that future self. I mean, somebody said, if you're not embarrassed by who you were six months ago, then you're not learning enough. <laughs> right. And I, that's true of me. I, I'm the, are you the same person you were six months ago? Maybe on some levels you are, but on, there's no way that you oh, can no. be. Okay. So do you see where the intention comes in? If we're sure. going to change, if we're going to change, whether we intentionally want to change, why not intentionally change? Why not intentionally transform? Why not intentionally become that person? And that's what McConaughey's doing. And, and I see that in his life. I see a distinction between him and others and how he and how he operates. And I think it's largely due to how he views himself and he's making decisions. He sees that future person, but he's not saying, well, when I get there, I'm going to do this. No, the decisions he makes today are, are as if he is already that person five years yeah. from now. Mm-hmm. 
conscious living versus subconscious living. That's right. You're going to react, right? People think they run around. Okay. I got to pay the bills. I got to go do this. I got to take the car in to get fixed. I got it. And people think that's intentionally living. No, that's that. And there's nothing wrong with this. What I'm saying is that's just carrying out responsibilities, but carrying out responsibilities is not intentional living. You're just reacting. So part of the, you know, in that phase two of our transformational establishing the behavior, that's what the journaling is for, is because you're living each day with specific intention. What are we going to do today? And then at the end of the day, we're going to take a few minutes and say, instead so of scrolling through Facebook and, and, and all, you know, and all this, we're going we're gonna to say, well, what did we do? What did we learn? What, what did we achieve? And what are we going to try different tomorrow with tomorrow's intentions? And when you start doing that over one month, two months, three months, and somebody's right there doing it with you, right? And then, you know, then, then that's where the behavior comes from. I'm going to say, here's, here's another point. I told you I'd talk too much and I <laughs> ask, ask for forgiveness. I want you to think about this one. And this is something we tell those that we're working with when we're, when we're journeying with them. And, and they, they're establishing this new kind of habit that they're like, well, I didn't realize that this was like this. And we say, okay, think about this. You know, let's say you have a family, you got your kids and you know, in, in, in hypothetically, God forbid you get run over by a bus one day, right? Okay. So you got your wife and you got your children, you know, and then you, you know, there's a, there's a funeral service for you. And then, you know, people reminisce, right? They go up and they say, well, you know, I remember Brett and he was, you know, this, or he was that, or we give you these funny experiences, right? And you have your family there and they're doing the same thing. Imagine if you, imagine if you wrote in a journal, a few minutes a day about your intentions. You know, this is where I'm at today. Here's the date. I start off every journal I do on the first page with here's the date and here's the five things that I'm looking to, to, to deal with most. And I go through about a journal about once every two to three months. Okay. So, and I say, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. And then I write it, you know, towards those accomplishments and, you know, I write in the, in the journal. Now imagine if you did that for five, 10 years, you'd have a shelf of journals, right? About your life during that five to 10 years. So imagine if you did it for 20 years. Imagine if you did it only for a year and something happened to you and your children go into that, into that room where those journals are that dad had. And they don't have to remember stuff from memory. They can open up the journal and say, and they're looking at dad's life or they're looking at mom's life right? And they're reading and they're, and what are they doing? You're not there, but you're connecting with your child because of what you wrote about your life that probably involves them too, you know, and things that you'd write in the journal. So that's why we call it legacy journaling. So I'm giving you a term that we're using. I'm giving you an inside term that we use in, in what we're doing. It's called legacy journaling. Why? Because you're leaving your legacy. You're not just writing, you're leaving a legacy. And could you imagine the connection you would create with your children, your extended family for generations if you left something like that behind just because you wrote little things for 10 minutes? Well, Brett, we're going to shift gears on you. Are you good with that? Pretty hard All left right. turn coming up here, Brett. Pretty hard okay. left turn. After okay. that I'm going like- to go with the Rams. Uh, oh, gosh. Well, as a, as I am a, the biggest Bengals fan this Sunday because I'm a Niner fan. So I am the biggest Bengals fan this Sunday. Uh, well, by the by the gosh. by the time this drops, you know, and people are hearing it, the, the Super Bowl has been decided. So one of you's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> is that who you want or that's who you think is just a better team? No, you know, I actually like I actually like Stafford. I think Stafford deserves it. Burrow's got Burrow's got a lot coming his Stafford, way. You're right. He does deserve it. He's a hard worker. He's been in the league for a while, but I'm just I'm still upset about what happened a week and a half ago when they, you know, yeah. they didn't beat the Niners. The Niners beat themselves. Let's say that. Yeah. Yeah, most people think Garoppolo beat the Niners. It wasn't Garoppolo's fault. There was no offensive line. He didn't have time to throw the ball. He can't throw the ball if there's nobody there to protect him. I actually – that Jimmy – we're going to get to the random questions in a minute. But now you open up a can of worms. Uh, Jimmy has done his share of fucking up, if you will. But that particular series of the final drive, that was not his fault. As soon as he hiked the ball, they were in his face – Nobody, the best Tom Brady, in my opinion, the best quarterback to ever play the game of football. He couldn't even have done anything. There's way, there's not enough time. Just wouldn't have been able to work. So, so easy to rile Mikey up, isn't it? It's so oh, just easy talk to about rile. the Niners. That's it, man. Just the Niners. <laughs> yeah. Or my dog. Him, or my yeah, it's 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 your dog. It's it's your family, your dog, and football. Not necessarily in that order. Right. <laughs> I'm a I'm pas- I'm passionate. Right. <laughs> about the things that I care about. Yeah. That's, uh, why, we, that's why we love you. Exactly. And that's it's why okay, I bro. Love, I love you all. <laughs> it's okay. I got my things too. Like, yeah. like, like if Mikey just went, what'd you think to the, of the end of that formula one season? Right, Jason, what Lewis think? Hamilton. I was, was going to say, what do you think about Lewis Hamilton? <laughs> and then it would have been, you know, the same thing, same chapter, different story, same story, different chapter. Well, that's why I'm a Raiders fan. Cause I just uh, like, I can accept disappointment. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's right. Uh, shoot. Uh, some uh, other fun, random questions. Okay. I always like this one because you were talking about legacy and I got silent there because then it got me thinking about my kids. So thanks for that one. You almost got tears, Brett. You almost right. Um, <laughs> with your legacy, let's say someone uh, turned your story into a movie. Who would you love to have play you? Wow, man, you guys are, this is hot seat stuff. Um, who would I have play me, man, you guys, that's so good in my story. Who would I have play me? I'm kind of the, okay, look at, I'm a retro guy. I, I love, I don't like kind of, I like old, older movies. I like the epics. I like stuff like that. So, you know, I'm thinking I'll give you four favorite actors, Peter O'Toole, and this will date me and show you, you know, what a Renaissance guy I am. Uh, Peter O'Toole, uh, Richard Burton, oh. Chuck, Hest- Chuck Heston, and Stephen Boyd. I could see Charlton Heston. Another I one that was think they make me think. I was thinking uh, uh, Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda. Yeah. Wow, that's a good one. That's a good one. I just, I just like I, you know, I like the movies they did. Uh, I lose myself in those movies. I mean, I, you know, Ben Hur, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm. I am those characters. That's why that that's why those resonate with me because I am those characters. Yeah. Yeah, that hero's journey, right? Yeah, I'm on a, I'm on a ship that's sinking and I'm going to die, but I don't deserve to be there, but nobody cares that Brett doesn't deserve to be there. It's just what are you going to do? So I, you know, that resonates with my life. And that's why I would choose a character like that. Mikey. So those are your actors. Give me top 3 favorite bands. Top 3 favorite bands. Wow, that's good. Man, you guys. And you pulled this. This is a fast one because I you didn't allow me to prepare for this. Uh, but that's uh, okay. So Eagles is number one. 
Oh, okay. So, you know, I definitely Eagles, number one. Bands. So it's not solo artists. It's it could be, be solo. Band. It could be solo. Bands are solo artists. Okay. So, yeah, I'm going to have to go on, on band. It'd be, it'd be the Eagles and then probably Pink Floyd. I uh, could never go wrong with Pink Floyd. And then I actually like a Stockton boy. I like Chris Isaac. Oh. And, who's out of Stockton. So yeah, I followed, I followed Chris. So this would be my top three band and solo artists. That's literally what I grew up on. My dad was like ACDC, Van Halen, Def Leppard. And my mom was Eric Clapton, Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. Right. So I got the best of both worlds growing that's, up. That, that's awesome. I mean, I probably could have done the cliche Beatles because I, I got tons of Beatles stuff. I love the Beatles. Like, that's the but it's like, I, I, yeah, I know I had to throw something else in there. You have yeah. to. Because everybody <laughs> yeah. likes at least one song from the Beatles. Everybody <laughs> does. If you don't, then you can't be trusted with literally anything. <laughs> don't you, you go can, anywhere you, near my you, kids or dog. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm over here getting picked up at Catholic school when my dad's blaring Highway to Hell. I love it. Uh, oh, wow. All right, I'm going to go with the uh, uh, James Lipton question. I don't think oh, we no. did this one, but I love Man. James Lipton when he does questions. Uh, so if God is Israel or as we've, we've conceptualized and you reach the pearly gates and you're welcomed into he- to heaven, what, uh, what do you think God would say to you? What would you want him to say? Okay. So there's, yeah, see, you just did it there. Cause it's, there's what he would say and there's what I want him to say. So <laughs> I'm going to, so I'm going to go with what I would want him to say. Okay. Because I don't want to speak for him. Um, All right. Yeah. Here, here's what I would want him to say. And this is my, my, you know, this is, this is fundamental to me. I, I think, you know, that there's, we have all, you know, we have, you know, history is littered with, you know, religion and uh, religious uh, belief and doctrine. And, and you see how religion has played into mankind's life over thousands of years. Right. So, and people get real worked up with one another over doctrine. You've seen this, right. Uh, so what I've done is I've said, you know, and I have the doctrine I believe, but I don't really try to go down the doctrinal road. What I do is I, I boiled it down to this. What is, what does the, the creator of the universe want to see from me? What does he want to see from me? How do I be most like him? And the way that I can be most like him is to do good for other people on a daily basis from the littlest act to a significant act, it doesn't matter. If I can do something good for somebody else today, just one person, then I'm being most like him. And that's what I'm trying to be like. So I would want him to say, Brett, you, I want him, I want him to say that you, you lived your life trying to do good for others, even in the littlest of ways, because you thought that was being most like me. And I appreciated that. And I love you for that. That's what I would like to hear him say. Awesome. What do you think he'd say? <laughs> he'd probably Damn say, it, <laughs> probably say nice knowing you, but uh, you didn't, you know, <laughs> you blew it here and you blew it there. And you blew it here. 
I don't think so. I don't think so either. I, I, I don't think that's what what his intent would uh, intent would be, or those guy type of words at all. Um, Mike, you got one more before we ask Brett for the final words. I got one more. If you were to have dinner with anybody, anybody, living or not, who would it be? Gosh, you guys, come on. And yes, Paul McCartney can be in that. I know you wanted to leave bit. out the Beatles. But, you know. So I can have dinner with anybody. Anybody. Or anybody. Meal, a meal. Any, anybody living or not no. living anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so for me, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with Jesus. Yeah. Right. Everybody, every, everybody else, everybody else is profound and can be, and can have a, have had a profound, I can think of other people who had profound impact on the world, but he'd be the only perfect person who had a profound impact on the world. So what you could learn from him would be more than what I could learn from anybody else. So why would I go with anybody else other than that? I mean, that would be my my reasoning. I love that answer. Because we've had the, uh, Lamar Odom said Jesus before, but I like your answer way better because it's just, it's it's the perfect, he's the perfect person and knows everything about the world. So why would you want it with anybody else? Love it. Mic drop. Wow. All right, I got, this is my first my first mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't uh, that's a nice mic. Don't drop that one. Yeah, don't drop that. <laughs> we could tell that one's nice. Yeah, like the blue yeti or something going there. Those are good mics. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's the blue yeti. I know my equipment. I know my. You, you don't sh- you don't show up you don't show up to knocking knocking doors down with with uh you know with just anything. <laughs> uh. Brett, if you could leave us with uh, some final thoughts, just, um, you know, words of encouragement for anyone out there, any, you know, looking to get into, quote unquote, that higher self, the next plane or struggling with mental health or addiction or whatever it may be. What, what could you lend? So our, our, I would say this, you know, don't hesitate to, to take no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what your past has been. No matter what, if you're dealing with something, it's likely about connection. Okay? It's not about, that's likely the root cause. And if you understand that, regardless of fear, just take a baby step. And that baby step could be reaching out to us. And we'll be happy to talk to you. And we'll be happy to, to, to go down that road with you. So I would just encourage all the listeners to just reach out. It all starts with a discussion. You know, there's not commitment to anything. It just starts with a discussion and understanding in learning. So for the, for the broad spectrum of everybody, you know, if, if you think if this show and what we've talked about is resonated with you about connection, then just simply reach out. And then I'll end it more with the, for the, for those that may be dealing with treatment or thinking about treatment or have had treatment in their past or the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Is that your second mic drop, Brett? That's two mic drops. <laughs> That's your second mic drop. <laughs> hey, you heard it here first. I'm knocking doors down. Wow, 50 years of no mic drops, and then I got two mic drops in in 45 seconds. That's incredible, <laughs> man. Hey, Brett, love it. Thank you, good sir. Hey, you guys. I appreciate the platform. I appreciate. I hope all. I wish all your listeners well, and they can reach out uh, if they want to. And we're just we're here to connect. So if you're into connection. 
we're your people. Brett, love it. Thank you again for your time, sir. Some really um, insightful stuff. It's really interesting that even though his focus wasn't on necessarily um, those in uh, substance abuse addiction recovery or anything, but there's a lot of the work that he's doing just with people in general that reminded me a lot of the 12-step program. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and the thing, and then the the journaling and the growth and everything. So it's really fascinating to see how a lot of this stuff that uh, we discuss with people who've gone through whatever, you know, can just translate to anyone at any point in their Mm -hmm. life. doesn't matter. You know, it might just be struggling i watch a little too much tv don't eat right or whatever it is to to hey i just stole my mom's uh wedding ring or my grandma's wedding ring to go buy crack or whatever you know these things can really apply for anyone in personal growth yeah yeah no for sure definitely an interesting conversation yeah uh for more on brett click that link in the podcast description and uh uncle mikey you got anything else no i'm going home on that note keep knocking doors down The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org.